One of the hardest questions to answer as a Christian is this one. Why does God allow all the suffering? Or maybe something like this. Where is God with all the suffering that we see in this world? Sometimes that question is asked to Christians as kind of a, a gotcha. You know, I'm going to catch you out. Uh, somebody who enjoys seeing Christians swirm at, uh, squirm at tricky questions. But often that question is asked because the person asking it is hurting. The person asking it is going through immense trouble and difficulties and burdens. And so that person is asking because they're suffering. They're asking because they're struggling and they want to know, does God care? Is there any hope? Is there any way that God could use this? Or why am I experiencing this? Well, the psalm that we're looking at today uh, really can help us if we're in that place of darkness. If we're trying to find our way. It might be that today you're a Christian and you're going through this deep struggle that can often come about in our lives. Grief or pain or confusion. And I pray this morning that we'll find hope in this psalm, comfort in these words. But it might be that today you're not a Christian and you're wondering those questions. You're asking, where is God in this world of pain? Again, I pray that today you'll see some hope in these words. Maybe, though, you're here this morning and think, actually, I'm doing quite well. You know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm in any struggles and nothing tr- too traumatic is happening at the moment. Well, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it's only a matter of time until we enter these, these times in life where, where we go through these, these periods of trial and struggle. So we need to be prepared. So here is a passage to have in our minds when we go through those moments. So this morning we're going to look at this psalm a little differently to how, as we have looked at other psalms and how we do look at other psalms. Because as it says at the top of the psalm, it's a psalm of David. But you may have noticed as we read those words, I quoted from Matthew 27 as well. And you think, well, Jesus said those exact words. What's going on here? Well, as you look through this psalm, you'll see, well, David is writing this psalm. But he never experienced something to the extent that this psalm speaks of. So this psalm is speaking of struggles that David would have gone through, but it goes beyond what David went through. Because it talks of an execution. And David was never executed. And as we look in the New Testament, in Hebrews 2 verse 12, you can look this up later on, Hebrews 2 verse 12 quotes verse 22 of this psalm and is saying Jesus spoke these words. So David is writing, but through David, the Holy Spirit is helping, Jesus is speaking through him. A thousand years before the event of the cross happened, Jesus is speaking through David, and David is writing this song prophetically. So as we, what we're getting here is an insight into the mind of Jesus on the cross. He said these words, these first lines, so that we would think of this psalm, so that we could follow something of what was going on in his heart and his mind on the cross. So the cross can help us when life is hard. And I want us to ask, well, how does the cross help us when life is hard? Well, this psalm's going to help us look at it in three ways. We're going to look at, first of all, the turmoil of suffering. The turmoil of suffering. So listen to what Jesus is going through on the cross. Listen to these words. In verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he feeling there? He is feeling alone, isn't he? He is feeling abandoned. He is feeling a distance from his father. That's what he's feeling. 
Or in verse 2, look what we see there. My God, I'm crying out to you, but you're not answering. I'm calling out, but there's no response. So he feels a distance from God, but he also feels and has this silence from God. And then he says at the end of verse 2, I find no rest. So the rest and the peace and that taste of home he would get by speaking to his father at this moment is gone. He's feeling a distance from God. He's feeling a restlessness from God. And he's also feeling this distance and silence from his father. So he's feeling this deep pain. So can we feel that? I know there's a lot going on, but can we understand that? Just to enter into that. The depth of despair that Jesus is feeling at the cross. The deep pain. When you look at Jesus in the Gospels, we see him speaking to his father quite a lot, don't we? We see him going and spending times of prayer. And at those moments, they would be moments for him of rest and peace and a taste of home when he spoke to his father. Remember the God that we're speaking of is a triune God, Father, Son and Spirit. For eternity past, there was this eternal intimacy between the Father, the Son and the Spirit. So Jesus, that only thing he knew from his father was warmth and love and acceptance. And yet here... He goes for that peace and that acceptance and that taste of home and he gets nothing. I don't know if you've ever been away from home for a length of time. I'm talking pre-mobile phone days, okay, where you couldn't just have that quick answer whenever you wanted. You know, if you have experienced that, you would know the joy of a letter where you open it and you read it and you just hear those words as a taste of home. I remember the nearest I've had to that was when I was in Thailand and it wasn't mobile phone times then. It was quite a while back now. Um, and so I would love to go to my post box, my PO box, you know, and there I would find letters from people at home, just a taste of it. Or I'd have to go to the internet cafe to um, read an email from home and just get these tastes. And that came to uh, just give you a piece about it, that those you know and love are okay and they're thinking of you. When Jesus went for that warmth and that peace that he knew, on the night he died, on the cross, instead of warmth from the Father, there was now coldness. There was distance, there was restlessness, there was silence, deep, deep agony. Now notice as, he, as we look down this verse, in the next section, we see something of this turmoil, verses three to five. He knows God's character. He says, you're holy, you're enthroned, you are trustworthy. He says, you're faithful, you've helped people in the past, you've rescued them. And look what he says in verse 5. They were not put to shame. Look what you've done in the past, he speaks to his father and says. You've not put them to shame. And the next verses he says, verses 6 to 8, but I am being put to shame. People are hurling abuse at me. People are mocking me. So there seems to be this gap between what he knows of what his God can do and his father can do and the reality of what he's experiencing. He knows God's promises, but what he feels seems very different. Here's a, prom a God who promises in his covenant catchphrase, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yet Jesus says, you've forsaken me. You've helped people in the past, but you're not helping me. You've heard people's cry in the past, but you don't seem to be listening. Can you feel the turmoil Jesus is going through? I know this to be true, and yet my experience seems different. I wonder if you've experienced that. And you know God's promises. You know how he should feel near at times of crisis, but then you just think there's this, this, this distance. 
Jesus is trying to wrestle with the truths and the promises of God with um, what he's experiencing. And then as this turmoil gets deeper, verses 12 down to 18, we have the enemies described and they are gathering around. Verse 11, he says, be not far from me. He's praying to his father. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there's none to help. So trouble is near. So be close. But the trouble feels nearer than you are. Look at verse 12. The bulls encompass me. The descriptions here of wild animals. Verse 13, the lion. Uh, he talks about dogs. And these are, don't think of, um, you know, cockapoos, sweet little <laughs> dogs that look really cute and wouldn't hurt a fly. No, these would have been dogs that were scavengers. And they would have surrounded people and they were scary and fearful. And there they are, these lions. These people are described as wild beings because the way they're acting is just like animals. And Jesus is feeling the worry and the fear. Look at verse 14. His heart is melting like wax. He is totally alone. Um, his, his physical, he is facing the pain of physical pain. Verse 14, um, he tells us his bones are out of joint. He tells us that he is feeling this thirst inside. Verse 16 tells us, they've pierced my hands and feet. Verse 18, he is facing the humiliation of being stripped naked and having his garments being, having a game played as he would keep them as their, um, as their keepsake for this experience. This is what Jesus is going through this turmoil. Isn't it amazing to think though, this was written 500 years before crucifixion was invented a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. And it talks about hands being pierced. It talks about his clothes being divided. It talks about the humiliation he was going through. Jesus spoke these words through David to give us an insight into his struggles and into his pain. So we need to feel the turmoil and the despair and the darkness. Let's pray that God by his spirit in these moments can help us just get a glimpse of something he was going through. The darkness, the oppression, the fear, you know, the desperateness, the, the coldness that he wasn't used to. Instead of knowing the smile of his father, he just was greeted by a frown. And we need to see this, that Jesus was suffering. Because when we see that suffering, we ask this question, don't we? Why? Why was he suffering? Why was he going through all of this? Why did he need to stick with this? We've seen in Jesus' life that he had the power to do so much. He could have come down from that cross if he wanted to. He could have stopped it happening. Why did he stay? Well, again, Hebrews helps us. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus bore through this punishment and he stayed in the, in, on the cross for the joy. Now, what was the joy? We'll just jump briefly to ahead because it tells us, but we'll look in detail in a few moments. Verse 22, do you see what the joy was there? I will tell of my name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. Verse 27, the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families shall worship before you. There's going to be this time where I will be rejoicing with, with my brothers and sisters. And I am, can't wait for that. We will be praising and worshipping the Father. We will be together. What was keeping Jesus going was the fact that he would save people. The fact that he would congregate people to praise and worship God. What was keeping Jesus going? The joy of saving you. He couldn't wait. He couldn't, that was what kept him. His love for you. 
We started asking about the problem of suffering. Why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God allow this? And sometimes we can think, he allow, if he allows this, he doesn't love me. If this is happening, we kind of join the dots and we say, well, then he can't care about me. He can't love me. But when we look at the cross, we realise he was doing this for us. So the reason behind my suffering can't be that he doesn't care. Look at the cross. It can't be because he's, he's cast me off. Look at the cross. This is how uh, Robert Murray McShane, uh, a Scottish preacher, um, put it. Uh, describing Jesus, what he went through on the cross. He was without any comfort of God. No feeling that God loved him. No feeling that God pitied him. No feeling that God supported him. God was his son before, and now that son became all darkness. He was without God. He was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was taken from him. He was godless. Deprived of his God, he had the feeling of the condemned when the judge says, depart from me, you cursed, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from his glory and power. He felt that God said the same to him. I feel like a little child casting a stone into some deep ravine in the mountainside and listening to hear its fall, but listening all in vain. This is the hell that Christ suffered. The ocean of Christ's suffering is unfathomable. He was forsaken in the place of sinners. If, we, if you close with him as your surety, you will never be forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer, for me, for me. The oceans of Christ's suffering is unfathomable. To help us in our suffering, to help us in comfort in our need, we need to see the turmoil of suffering. Now, secondly, let's think of this. Let's see what difference this makes to our lives. Let's look at the comfort in suffering. How does this psalm help us in the midst of your suffering? The first thing is this. Jesus understands your suffering. If you've ever felt like God's promises don't seem to be true, you know something of what God said in his word, but what you're going through doesn't feel like those promises are true. Jesus has been there. If you've ever wrestled with God feeling abandoned, Jesus has been there. If you've ever thought God is ignoring you, it seems like there's just silence from him, Jesus has been there. If you've ever felt oppressed and shamed and abused and surrounded and overwhelmed, Jesus has been there. If you've ever been in deep physical, mental distress, Jesus has been there. He understands. Now, it is such a comfort, if you're going through a trial, to meet someone who's been through a similar trial. It is such a comfort, isn't it, to, to encounter somebody who's been through what you're going through. When you're talking to somebody and just you know by the look in their eyes that they've been there. That is such a help, such a comfort. It doesn't take all our problems away, but to know that the God of heaven isn't distant but has been where you are and has been tempted and faced every trial that you faced, that helps us. Because our God isn't far away and distant, but our God is a God with scars, a God who understands suffering. He has been there. This is how Dane Ortland puts it in his book. He says, consider your own life. When the relationships go sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, 
when it seems that one of our, sh- our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the long-time friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we're laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testings feel like and sits close to us and embraces us. He's with us. Solidarity. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult it gets, the more alone we are. Our pain outstrips what he himself shares in. But we are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. The temptation when we go through our times of suffering is to flee from God. But actually, as we think on this truth, it should make us want to run to him because he gets it, he understands it, and he's been there. If you think God is distant, look closer. He bears the same scars as you. He understands. Don't push him away. Go to him. So Jesus understands our suffering, but that's not all. He is also with us in our suffering. So in the New Testament, it talks much about Christ's sufferings and it tells us and reminds us that as if you're a Christian this morning, we share in his sufferings. A strange phrase to use that it says a few times. But one of the things it's saying is this, as we follow Jesus, the path of Calvary, as it were, as he suffered, so we will suffer. Not in the same way, we don't bear the punishment for sin as he did, but because he suffered, we will suffer as well. Uh, so as, as it says here, just as Jesus assumed human likeness through suffering, so we can grow into Christ-likeness through suffering. So do you see, as he became, uh, was kind of more human as it were, even though he's fully human, he's experiencing human nature by suffering, so we get a taste of Christ's nature as we suffer. So it means our suffering isn't pointless. It means that God can use our suffering for good in our lives. Just as Joseph looked at his brothers and um, you know, he said, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. God can use the darkest of trials for a good reason. As I've told you before, Elizabeth Elliot uses this illustration of a sheep dip. Um, if you've ever seen sheep being thrown through a dip, you will see what, um, what this is like. Now, why do they go through a sheep dip? They have to go through a sheep dip because there's this trough filled with antiseptic. If they don't go through it, then they're going to be infected by different um, parasites and diseases that's going to kill them. So the shepherd has to put them through and totally submerge them in this sheep dip. The sheep are kicking and screaming or barring and saying, no, I, I don't want to go. But the good shepherd pushes them under. They don't understand what's going on. They're fearful at the time. But without that, then they would end up in a much darker situation. In the same way, our good shepherd knows what we need to go through to change us. I wonder if the moment, the suffering that you're going through is showing you things about your heart that no other situation would have. Showing you idols that you trust in, showing you things that you've lent on that you shouldn't have, sins in your heart that you didn't know were there, but if you wouldn't have gone through your trial, you wouldn't have seen it. It is hard, but God loves us too much to leave us as we are. And so our suffering isn't pointless. He is with us. We share in those sufferings and he is making us more like Jesus. Just like gold going through the fire. You know, it, it burns off the dross. As we go through the furnace, God transforms us. 
So you see, this psalm is showing us Jesus understands our suffering. He shows us that he's with us in our suffering. But as well, the third thing in this little point is this. this lim- he shows us the limits of our suffering. What do I mean? Well, we need to understand those lines, the first two lines of the, this psalm. Why have you forsaken me, Jesus Christ? Why was he forsaken? Well, Jesus wasn't just suffering with us and understands it, but he was suffering for us. Jesus was forsaken on the cross because he was taking our place. He was taking, bearing our sin. So as he stood before the Father, as it were, covered with all our failure, the Father cast him out. The Father realised that um, he needed to face the punishment for those sins. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. He was taking our hell in our place. He was restless and he was in pain because he was standing in our place. So what that means is Jesus was forsaken so that in our darkness we would never be forsaken. He took our place and we take his place. Jesus was left alone so that we could always know the presence of God with us. Jesus was ignored so that we could always face and hear the answer of God. Jesus was restless so that we could find rest. He was abandoned so that we could approach. Do you see, Jesus was forsaken, taking our place so that we could get all the benefits that he deserved. So in our suffering, there's a limit. However deep and dark the pit that you're in, Jesus has been further to guarantee that you won't go any further. There's a limit to our suffering because of what Jesus was going through. There's a turmoil here that we see in this psalm. But as we stop and think what difference that makes, there's a comfort to us. But finally now, I want us to look at the hope we can have in suffering. Verses 22 down to 31. Looking back at the psalm now. There is glorious hope that comes at the end of the psalm compared to the deepest darkness that it starts with. Look at verse 21. We see the start of this hope at the end there. He says, you have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. He sees that there is a hope here. Even though I feel forsaken, you have rescued me. And look at verse 24. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried out. And because he has been heard, there is a celebration here and there is victory. Look at verse 27, the consequences of it. All the ends of the earth, shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. Uh, Look at verse 28, it tells us, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Of verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness as to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So do you see there's a tone here, it's totally changed. We've gone from the minor key to the major and it is celebration. Jesus has won, it's telling us. And everybody one day will see it. Every um, knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So you just see what this is showing us. That the death of Jesus is in the end. That we have the hope of the resurrection. That Jesus rose from the grave. And our sin has been paid for. Why did Jesus rise? Because we deserve to be punished for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid the price, which means he could walk free. In the same way that you might show a receipt to prove that you've paid for your goods 
our receipt that our sins have been paid for is Jesus' resurrection. Look, he's paid the price. And as he walks out of the grave, our death, our penalty has been paid. And so because of that, he is alive and there is good news to share. And the last line says, he's done it. It is finished. It is paid for. All of your sins have been dealt with at the cross. I know I say this a lot, but I think we need to get it in our, in our heads. How many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross? All of them. Every single one. So when he died, all of them were covered. They were all future to Jesus. And now we can say, well, they're all in the past. He has paid for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. He is risen. He is alive. Wonderful celebration. Jesus is alive. And not only that, but these verses take it to, the, to another level because it reminds us that everybody will see Jesus as Lord. That is telling us of that day, like Philippians 2 tells us, that Jesus is returning. He is coming back. And in the Bible we see when he returns, when this humiliation is turned to glory, when the shame is turned to splendour, when he comes back, he is going to fix this world. He is going to put it right. So there'll be no more suffering, no more shame, no more struggles. Remember Revelation 21. This is how it's going to be. There'll be a place where there'll be no more tears in their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has been passed away. So Jesus rose again and he will come back. And so this celebration that we see here, this good news that has been shared throughout the whole of creation, is that the Lord is, will return and he will fix it. So here's a question. How does the hope of eternal um, happiness and joy help me and us in our struggles today? Well, do you see, this isn't the end. The darkness that you're in, there is an end to it. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. When we're in the place of darkness, it seems like there's no hope, no way out, no way forward. But with the truth of Jesus' res resurrection and return, it shows us that there can be a happy ending for all who trust in him. And that keeps us going right now. That makes a difference to our life here and now. All who die trusting in Jesus will rise again. This is not the end. And when we have the end in sight, it transforms our living now. In Lord of the Rings, at the end, um, Frodo and Sam Gamgee are talking. And Frodo's struggling. Um, if you haven't seen it or read it, Frodo's one of the main characters in it. And, and evil seems to be winning at this point. And Sam Gamgee, his, his wonderful friend, comes and encourages him. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger, they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad has happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. You see, God is going to make the sad things come untrue, as Sam Gamley comes to go on to say. The sad things can come untrue, that we can hold on to something because the end is a happy one. The resurrection and the celebration in the second half of this psalm can give us hope at the darkest of times. 
Why does God allow all the suffering? That is not a question that you can answer quickly, is it, or easily. Where is God in all of the suffering? We don't have all the answers. But what we do know is this. We have a God who knows what it's like to suffer. We have a God who can be with us in our suffering. A God who can use our suffering for a good purpose. He is present with us. He understands it. And one day, he's going to put it to an end. We're all going to ask the why question at some point in our life. Why are you allowing this? David asked it. Jesus cried it out. And when we ask that question afresh, why was he forsaken? Let's remember what the answer is. The answer is for you. So that in your suffering, you wouldn't have to be alone. You know, when we read verses like that, we want to turn it around somewhat and say, don't we? My God, my God, why have you accepted me? Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for us and the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray before we sing our last hymn. Lord, we do thank you for your wonderful, wonderful uh, message of the cross. We thank you for the hope that it brings us in the darkness of life, for the comfort it offers us when all other comforts may flee. We thank you, Lord, that in our Saviour we have a wonderful hope. And I pray, Lord, please, for those in the darkness this morning, lift their eyes up to the hope of the resurrection, the hope that Jesus has won, the hope that one day he will return and fix all things. Lord, keep us going with these truths, we pray. And we ask this in his name. Amen.